30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard. One, two, three. In the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, there was a recurring gag where Calvin would be forced to endure something unpleasant, and when he complained or asked why he had to do it, his father would say, it builds character. This iconic line was something my own father found endlessly amusing, so whenever I was subjected to chores, camping, long hikes, and the other hardships of suburban adolescence, I would hear the same meta joke, my dad somehow referencing Calvin's dad while also embodying the archetypal dad energy Calvin's father was created to portray. The thing I noticed about building character, which Calvin was also quick to point out, was that it sucked. I never got told that eating Twinkies built character, or sleeping in built character, or watching Saturday morning cartoons built character. It seemed that only activities which I would characterize as boring, painful, difficult, frustrating, or just generally unpleasant were the ones that activated this miraculous character-building mechanism. The other aspect of this running joke, as it's presented in Calvin and Hobbes, is how annoying and unhelpful being told something builds character is. Not once does Calvin say, Oh, pointlessly shoveling the driveway in this blizzard builds character? Gee, thanks, Dad. I hadn't thought about it like that. But now that you mention it, I guess I'll really give it my all and enjoy the journey. It's a phrase that, like telling someone who's upset they need to calm down, may be true, but is rarely well-received. So when I was thinking about themes to explore on the podcast this week, building character came to mind, and I wanted to see if we could get past its status as an unhelpful quip. I thought maybe, just maybe, we could dig a little deeper and find something that makes it easier to get through the boring, painful, difficult, frustrating, and just generally unpleasant experience of being stuck inside for weeks on end while a virus rampages through the world, overrunning our hospitals, and wreaking havoc on our economy. To get to the bottom of this business, we'll need to look at two key concepts. The first is comfort. The second is this elusive character Calvin's dad was so keen to build. Let's start with comfort. As humans, we're programmed to seek comfort wherever we can find it. If it's hot and sunny, we'll look for shade. If the ground is hard and rocky, We'll see if we can't throw a little something softer down. If we have a hard task that needs to be accomplished, we'll try to get through it as quickly as we can so we can stop and switch to laying on that soft thing in the shade. We all know the allure of comfort and the lengths we'll go to achieve it. But once we reach it, once it's ours to savor and enjoy, that's when a strange paradox comes into play. Comfort breeds discomfort. Work on your feet all day and nothing feels better than collapsing into a bed. But roll around in bed for an entire weekend, binging TV and slamming snacks, and you'll soon feel sore and tense. But when that moment comes when you know you've been in bed too long and you'd probably feel better if you got up and moved around, it's still so much easier to play another episode than it is to motivate yourself into action. 
Because in a way, motivation is like water. It seeks the low places. When we're in a place of true discomfort, we'll work our asses off to secure shelter, food, or the cessation of labor. Our motivation is like a roaring stream rushing down the mountainside, leaping over rocks and logs and any other obstacle foolish enough to stand in the way of the comfort we seek. But once we find that comfort, the low place where our mighty motivation can sit for a spell, suddenly it becomes a stagnant pond and it's difficult to get it to do much of anything. Everyone's own innate motivation varies, but I reckon you've experienced this in one form or another. Hunting for a job when you've already got one, even if you don't really like it, always seems to take longer than hunting for a job when you're out of work and your savings are dwindling fast. Or trying to wake up early on a weekend when there's no real reason versus hearing your alarm when you know if you don't get up this instant, you'll be late. Now again, everyone's motivation differs, but for many of us, the key to getting up and out of our comfort is the threat of even greater future discomfort missing a deadline, sucking at the show, having a date see your pigsty of an apartment, we leverage the looming threat of consequence, disappointment, and embarrassment to break comfort's seductive allure. Years ago, I lived in Austin, Texas, which can be a very comfortable town when it feels so inclined. Trying to work on a project when my friends were down the street drinking beers poolside brought out the worst aspects of my own innate procrastination. Of course, there's plenty of hardworking people getting stuff done in Austin, but I found resisting the temptation to eat breakfast tacos and start day drinking at 11 a.m. difficult to say the least. When I moved to New York City, an old friend asked me why I was leaving Austin. Wasn't Austin supposed to be super chill? Why would I leave that for the hustle and bustle of New York? I looked at them and said, you know, I'm just tired of trying to do sit-ups in a hammock. That's why Austinites call it the velvet rut. When things are easy, it's damned hard to do something hard. Which is why I think the key to accomplishment, for whatever it is you wish to accomplish, is confronting comfort. That doesn't mean we all need to do a thousand push-ups in a muddy field or sleep on a bed of broken glass, but discovering which forms of discomfort are actually motivating for us, which force us to move out of comfort and strangely makes us feel good, Versus which forms of comfort are secretly velour coffins, smothering us in plush ease until we realize this actually feels quite bad. Which is a crucial part of facing this pandemic. We're uncomfortable with the state of the world, the personal difficulties we're dealing with, and the other challenges of quarantine. But we're also living out the fantasy of a never-ending snow day, stuck at home with beds, couches, and infinite streams of bingeable content begging for our attention. Maybe we started quarantine with big plans for how we'd use this time to learn a new language, practice banjo, or finally work on that album. But now it's a daily trench war against sleeping in, staying in our pajamas, and giving in to the relentless inertia of comfort. Which is where character comes in. Ages ago, I had an ex who was very into vintage fashion. Like, before man landed on the moon vintage. We were poking around a thrift store, and I bemoaned the difficulty I had determining what to wear. Do I actually want this novelty t-shirt, or is it dumb, or am I overthinking it? Her advice was to first imagine a character, then purchase clothes as if you're dressing the character rather than yourself. 
if you imagine a sleazy 1980s hipster hustler who wears sunglasses in nightclubs, it would be a lot quicker deciding whether the pink button-down shirt makes the cut or not. Some of us might have a few different characters we dress for, switching between them as the occasion dictates, while others might resonate with one archetypal image and play off that pattern forever. But finding a way to get out of your own identity and imagine someone else is a helpful exercise. This advice was something I thought about deeply when I took on casting myself as a contemporary wizard, and it's still something I return to when I debate whether I should buy a discount kimono or if that's not quite the urban Jedi look I'm after. But this goes beyond fashion. If we imagine ourselves as characters or consider the characters we'd like to become, it can be an excellent introduction to new experiences. Asking myself, what sounds fun tonight? Or what do I feel like doing? Gives me a different set of options than when I wonder, what would a wizard do? In all honesty, while I enjoy the public aspects of wizardry very much, some of the best moments have come from having a crap day at work and wanting nothing more than to crawl in bed and binge seven hours of something stupid. But taking a second to wonder if there wasn't something more wizardly I could do, only to then find myself reading about no mythology while listening to prog rock, stroking my beard, and drinking a hot cup of mint tea. I don't know about you, but that just feels more wizardly to me than re-watching Breaking Bad. Creating a character also helps orient towards longer-term goals and projects. For any of you that have ever played a role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons, you know the framework of earning experience points to level up your character and unlock new skills. When thinking about all the things I'd love to learn or do, I get overwhelmed. Very, very overwhelmed. But I've found that returning to the concept of character can help me prioritize what is something that will upgrade my character. Yes, I do want to take this hypnosis training course versus a non-essential side quest. No, I don't need to collect all of the Animorph books and paperback. Now, I want to be extremely clear here that I'm not saying we should instrumentalize all of our time towards quote-unquote productive activities that help us become fictional characters. It's okay to just be a person and do regular, non-goal-oriented activities that we do to rest, relax, and for no better reason than we just enjoy doing them. After all, even D&D characters rest to regain hit points. But paradoxically, playing at being a character can help us become more of a person, both the person we already are and the person we'd like to become. In my own life, I experienced the power of confronting comfort and building character on November 9th, 2016. That was the day America woke up and learned Donald Trump would be our next president. It was also the day I found out my mom had stage four cancer. The new political reality was unsettling on its own, but combining that with my mother's terminal diagnosis was just too much. We were told that cancer treatments had come a long way and that even with a terminal diagnosis, she could look forward to years of relatively normal life. But less than a month later, she woke up with no feeling in her left hand, unable to move it, and I rushed home for Christmas fearing that the end would come sooner than any of us were prepared for. It was a hard time. It was not comfortable. And I remember struggling with what being a wizard meant in the midst of all this. Shouldn't I be able to do some magic, some spell that would cure my mom's cancer and return us to the timeline we should have stayed on? 
the one where Hillary Clinton won the election instead? If I'm such a great and powerful wizard, why do I feel so terrible and powerless? We celebrated Christmas, my mom slowly regained use of her left hand, and I returned to New York City in early January. On the long bus ride home from Boston, I cried and stared out the window and sought a solution in my wizardry. But then I realized it wasn't there to provide a solution. It was there to provide solace. Wizardry wouldn't change the circumstances I was in. It would be how I got through them. After arriving home, I called my mom and told her I wanted to work with her to plan a ritual. Something her friends could be there for, along with her, a living funeral of sorts. She loved the idea and asked that we wait until it was closer to the end to start planning. For right now, she wanted to focus on feeling better and getting healthy enough that she could walk her dog around the lake with her lady friends again. Over those next months, my mom started feeling better, and so did I. Not all the time. There were plenty of difficult moments confronting uncertainty and despair, but asking myself how I could bring my wizardry to bear on supporting my mother, my family, and her friends made a difference. But there was still the fear of when it would change, when I'd have to confront the difficult moment of watching her pass right in front of me. The idea of it seemed absolutely unbearable. I think all of us who had plans for the spring that weren't stay inside forever understand the truth of the line, man plans, God laughs. My mother continued to do well until suddenly she didn't. That summer she had a stroke. At first, it seemed like she'd recover, but by the time I'd gotten back home, she'd already slid into rapidly advancing dementia. The idea that we would collaboratively plan a ritual celebrating her life was smashed upon the sharp rocks of reality, but I knew that my role, my character, was about bringing people together to honor and understand the immensity of this moment, so that's what I decided to do. I invited a group of my mother's closest friends, and we had a small event while she lay in home hospice her home office now rendered as a dying bed. She was uncommunicative by then, but her friends had a chance to sit by her side and say goodbye, and then we all gathered together in the living room to tell stories about who my mother was and what she meant to us all. Sitting there, it was strange to realize that these moments I'd feared the most, the ones wrapped in uncertainty, having arrived, were now the realest moments of my life. Forced to deal with the uncomfortable, we have an endless capacity to engage with our core values, with who we want to be in this life, and to let those strengths shine through. It's not all as glorious and poetic as I'm making it sound. There's a lot of raw, ugly crying in the mix as well. But the glory and the poetry are a part of it. So that's what I wanted to try and put into words in this podcast. Building character isn't fun. It's boring, painful, difficult, frustrating, and just generally unpleasant. It pushes us out of the comfort we desperately want to cling to, like an early morning alarm rousing us from the glorious pleasures of a warm bed, but it brings us to moments that offer a deeper, truer feeling of comfort. Not just large pillows and no obligations, but touching the aspects of ourselves that give depth and definition to who we truly are. So we're in a pandemic right now. We're not going to the events we had on our calendar, or taking the trips we planned, or even working at the jobs we thought would continue to provide a stable source of income. We're sitting in the log ride, about to plummet over the edge of uncertainty, and we're stuck at home, 
toiling interminably in our pajamas, confronting this paradoxical brew of comfort and discomfort. It's scary and it's boring. It's uncertain and yet each day feels like an endless extension of the one before. But we're building character. We're working our way through this, whether we want to or not. And rather than fantasize about the places we'll go or the things we'll do when we get out of quarantine, let's take a moment to appreciate the people we're becoming and the badass upgrades we're going to get with all of this XP we've accumulated. So, to bring this to a close, let me play the character I've built for myself and say, I'm your wizard, Devin Person. I believe in you. Your magic is real. <laughs>